This is Sound and Vision on KEXP. I'm Larry Mizell Jr. The year 1969 is well known as a watershed year in American society, signaling a paradigm shift in our culture. Hopes and dreams for a better future seemed tangible, just within reach of our will and ingenuity. One of its biggest moments was, of course, Woodstock, the three-day rock festival whose name is virtually considered shorthand for the entire 60s counterculture, whose breakthrough performances have been immortalized, whose impact has been virtually deified. But back in 69, the same summer as Woodstock, there was another festival happening just 100 miles away. It was an event that would come to be known as the Black Woodstock, the Harlem Cultural Festival, whose star-studded lineup included a young Stevie Wonder, Sly and the Family Stone, Nina Simone, and many more. An estimated 300,000 people came to Mount Morris Park to attend this free festival, which lasted over six weekends. Somehow, this festival was lost to history, all but forgotten, until the recent release of the documentary Summer of Soul, the directorial debut of Questlove, a.k.a. Amir Thompson, walking music encyclopedia, world-famous DJ, and of course, drummer for The Roots. The film uncovered footage from the festival that had been sitting in a basement for more than 50 years and brought back many of the fest performers to comment on this until now little-known landmark event. I got to catch up with one of the film's producers, Joseph Patel, to learn more about the event and how its story was told. So I got approached to join the project in 2018, early 2018. My co-producers, Robert Fivlin and David Dinnerstein, had been trying to get this film made for a while. And um, in 2017, they brought on Questlove as director, which I think was a very inspired choice. Absolutely. I think their rationale was that, you know, he knows music and he's sort of a natural storyteller. And, you know, even though he hadn't directed a film before, why not him? You know, and I think when they approached him to, to do this, he hadn't even heard of the event. And, you know, I think that was sort of the allure for all of us is that, especially Amir and myself, who are music geeks, him obviously a lot more knowledgeable than me, but, you know, you hear this event and you're just like, you know, when they told me, I was like, this didn't happen. I would have heard of it. That's what I said. And I, you know, I know a bunch of people besides myself who all knows about music. Like, you know, I didn't know a single person who'd heard a peep about this before. Yeah. And, you know, so they approached me and they told me about the event. I'm like, there's no way this happened. And they're like, yeah, it happened. And someone shot the whole thing. And I was like, okay, assume for a fact it did happen. Someone shot it. It's probably one person with a camera. And they're like, no, it was a TV producer, four cameras, professionally shot. And I was, you know, I, it's just my jaw hit the floor. And and then you see the footage and you're just like, wow, this is this is something. And But I know Amir and I know, you know, he doesn't have a lot of time. So, you know, he was like, look, he's he, he said two things to me. He's like, one, I really want to tell that. I asked him why he wanted to do this. If it was just for like another notch in his belt, then probably not the guy that that, that they should use. But, you know, he was he was very thoughtful about it. He's like, look, can you imagine if we had known about this the way that we know about Woodstock and what that would have done to, to me in Philly or or people like me? And that really resonated with me because that was 
that was really important to understand is that, you know, this thing happened and it was ignored as a cultural event for so long that, you know, we all know why, yeah. and we all know the reasons behind that. And, and if we did this correctly, then, then, you know, it, it could be a real unique and rare opportunity to put something back on the cultural timeline forever. And, you know, the, all that stuff is just was like, okay, let's do this because if we do it right, you'll never be able to talk about the summer of 69 again without mentioning the Harlem cultural festival. And man, what, as a storyteller, yeah. uh, what, a, what a unique opportunity. Absolutely. That blew me away. I mean, everything you're talking about, the cultural import of putting that on the timeline, we are sold a narrative about the, the summer of love and that time specifically, and this incredible, huge thing that happened at a confluence of all these events. I mean, that's just a huge chunk that's missing from our, 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 our country's narrative. You know what I mean? To, to not have that is a disservice. So it's a real active service that y'all made this happen and, and put this out there. I was absolutely blown away that, that this was just unknown completely for so long. Yeah. Thank How? you. How? Yeah. The lesson really is that black history is American history. Yes. Right. And, and that, and that's what this, this, the sort of, subtext of this film is is that all this stuff is happening in 69 but the way we've been told the story has always been from a particular perspective of mainstream white america and and that there's just as important substantial issues happening at that time to black americans that are different and being mm -hmm. received differently mm -hmm. that's also part of our history as a country right and it really boils down to that fundamental question, are we a multiracial democracy or not? And, and if we are, then that's part of our history. And I think in doing this film, it, it's, it's such a, I mean, you know, we centered it on black joy. You know, we didn't want to live in the trauma of, of what was happening. We wanted to center it on black joy. There's stuff that's context, obviously, but it's, it's really centered on the festival and, and the artists and the music and, and the joy um, of the people at the festival, which to me is, you know, when we just went in, in diving into the materials, when we discovered that Hal Tolchin, the producer, had put a camera on the audience for all the performances, we I mean, I could just watch that all day. Yeah, it's <laughs> inspired. Um, you know? Seeing that joy, it, that's the part that really got me. Just seeing yeah. this beautiful, humongous crowd digging up these, these performances, these incredible performances from some of the biggest icons of the most moving, you know, important music of all time. Yeah. Um, you know, when we when we dove into the material, the first thing we did was we looked at all the footage and Amir had it on a loop in his apartment. We had to piece together what the festival was because there wasn't a ton written about it. There wasn't like, you know, you couldn't go on the Internet and wow. find out who performed on what day. You know, there wasn't flyers running in The New York Times like it was we had to sort of piece together what actually happened at the festival, who performed on what day and mm -hmm. what order, what set list. Wow. Hal had a lot of that information, but over the years, some of that had been lost. Then we started looking at where every artist was in their career at the time. Right. Um, you know, Stevie Wonder is is 19. He's yeah. no longer little Stevie Wonder, but he's not the genius that we come to know in the 70s. Right. So we're looking at that dynamic and and then we're you know we're looking at the fifth dimension who have the biggest song of 1969. This is the dawn 
And then you have the Edwin Hawkins singers who are, you know, bringing the church to a secular audience. Oh, happy day. So we started looking at just where all the artists were at their careers and where music was at that time. And then we started looking at what's happening in Harlem in 69, what's happening in New York City, what's happening in the country, what's happening to Black America. And it just, it became very obvious to us very, very early on. This can't just be a concert film. It has to be, it's, it could be, it could be just a concert film, but then it would be a disservice to all the other stories around it. How was it talking to the artists that were there talking about it. I mean, talking to the members of the Fifth Dimension about that. I mean, it was just amazing seeing them see this footage. I mean, how many of them were just like, wow, I forgot this happened. You know, it's interesting. None of them forgot. Yeah. Right and on. that's and that was really the thing. Like when we talked to people who went to the festival, but especially the artists, none of them forgot. Uh, you know, Billy and Marilyn from the Fifth Dimension they were the first artists to say yes because the man their manager brought it to them and they were like oh yeah we remember we got married a month before and we remember wow. playing harlem it was so important to us and it was like yo okay and they were the first artists that we locked in so they that really was like okay cool this is good and then you know mavis staples she said yes she writes about it in her in her autobiography the only reason Mavis isn't on camera is because we were we we got hit with COVID. Mm. And so we had to do her interview audio only. But we showed we sent her a clip and she watched it. And then we hopped on a Zoom with her. We had a guy in a hazmat suit drop off a disinfected microphone to the front of her door. Oh wow. And 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 she, you know, she 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 grabbed it and wiped it down and then uh, and then hopped on a Zoom to do the interview, but we were also battling COVID. So, um, and she's in the, the highest risk category. And we didn't, we, you know, we didn't want to put Mavis in danger. So, um, but when we, every artist that we we brought this to, that's in the film, even Stevie, Stevie remembered everything about that day. Mm. He he was he's, he was telling us he was like, it was raining. He's like, I remember I slipped backstage. He remembered the moon landing happening that day. Wow. Um, he was, he had it in his memory too. And given all the things Stevie Wonder's done in his lifetime, like it's right. crazy. Absolutely. So, yeah. It, it really, it's that really resonated with us that it, it meant a lot to the people who were there and that the fact that we were telling the story, it just kept us going. I bet. And my jaw was on the floor so many, so many times, if not the whole time, the whole part when Mavis is talking about interacting with Mahalia, I mean, it's incredible. It's absolutely gutting. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. And it's just incredible that this these moments have been buried and to to have that out in the world is is absolutely beautiful, game changing thing. Yeah. And to see that moment where Mavis is part of the staple singers, but just making her way as a solo artist. Mahalia Jackson is the queen of gospel and just a, 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 a hugely spiritual presence for people and to just have them on stage together is enough. But the way it happened, singing my precious Lord, you know, a year after King is killed, knowing that that's the last request that he made seconds before he shot, knowing that Mahalia sang that at his funeral. Yeah. Um, all of it just makes that moment 
narratively, emotionally, spiritually rich. Precious Lord, Take My Hand was Dr. King's favorite song. And Sister Mahalia Jackson was my idol. She was my hero. I loved her so much. This day, I sit right next to her, and when came time for her to sing, she leaned over and told me, baby, Haley don't feel too good today. I need you to help me sing this song. And I said, yes, ma'am, I'll help you. And then to see it is just like, um, I, you know, it's, it's almost upsetting that that hadn't been seen for 52 years. Absolutely. You know, you, you realize that we've been looking at a map that was incomplete and still is. Um, and that, that just shedding that light, uh, absolutely incredible. Uh, I get chills thinking about it. That's a really good way of putting it, of describing it, that we've been looking at a map that's been incomplete. I like yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. Um, and of course, capped off with an incredible Nina Simone performance. I'm just curious, you know, how, how, how was your experience seeing that and seeing all of this for the first time? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. The Nina Simone footage at the festival. So so there's a little bit of that poem she reads. Right. Are you ready? That's written by David Nelson, at the time David Nelson. Mm-hmm. Are you ready to smash white things? To burn buildings? Are you ready? So in mapping our story, you know, Amir knew that he wanted to capture this change in sentiment with the civil rights movement from a more traditional church-based suit and tie protest movement into this sort of young, you know, Afros and Daishikis and black power civil rights movement. And, and so when we looked at how to structure the film, it felt like Nina Simone just felt like the most obvious landing point, right? Yeah. Because she is all the other artists have stories that you see on stage and, off, and we contextualize it with stuff happening off stage. Nina's is the only where all of that, she, the, the, the way she's dressed, the way her hair is, the songs that she's singing, she's the bridge between the protest movement and the black power movement. Totally. So, so her performance felt like a natural landing spot. You give me second class houses, second class schools. Nina Simone's one of the best artists that ever walked the planet. Absolutely. So seeing her perform in any capacity is 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 mesmerizing. Um, to know what she's to have a, just a an inkling of what she's feeling um, and what she's experiencing as an artist as a black woman in '69 uh, makes that performance even more powerful. Um, you know, I remember seeing these performances like Stevie. It's just so awkward. Yeah, <laughs> he, yeah. But because, but he's so good, right? He's playing the drums, and Amir knew right away that he wanted to open with Stevie playing the drums because um, it's not something we, a lot of this generation knows Stevie for, right? But but he's nice on the drums, yeah. And Amir's a drummer, so that made sense. I'd say my favorite stuff that I saw in the footage was the gospel performances. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm not a huge, I'm not very fluent in gospel. Same. And, like I am with other music, right? But 
the gospel stuff is really what floored me because seeing the groups experiment with sounds outside of the traditional gospel sounds to a secular audience in Harlem, black, black, mostly black audience and the communing that happens between audience and, and, and performance. Um, that's the stuff that in the footage really, really moved me the most. is the word for all of it immensely so uh, and there's still a ton of people i just know who haven't seen it and i'm just like no i'm sitting you down and we're watching this because you're 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 not complete as 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 an american if you don't even yeah. know about this yeah i i'm just absolutely blown away and the first thing i thought when it when it ended and i don't know if this crossed i'm sure it did i was immediately like where are the others where's the other stories that are 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 this deep and this rich and this pivotal that I've never heard about, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it goes to what I was saying before. I think, you know, hopefully this inspires people to find those stories. Absolutely. You know, and to, then to realize that they're worth something, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, to me, the biggest thing is, like I said this earlier, is black history is American history. Yes. Um, and you see that point expressed most acutely in the moon landing scene. Absolutely. Right. Mm -hmm. Where it shows how black Americans received the moon landing differently than white Americans. Yeah. That blew me away. It was funny, too, because my dad's a producer um, from back in the day. Um, Did a bunch of stuff with Blue Note. um, Wait, your father is Larry. Larry Wow. I was going to ask you, but I was like, maybe I don't know. Maybe he doesn't get that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, but he, uh, in his uh, former life, before uh, he really started kicking that off, he was an engineer and he actually worked on the lunar module in 69. So as soon as the stuff about the moon landing is happening in the movie, I'm texting him I'm like, watch, I, you got to watch this movie. They're starting to talk about the moon landing. I thought about you. And then five minutes later, they're tearing it apart. I was like, oh, shit, I'll just let you find out. <laughs> you know what I mean? I ain't going to tell you right now. But yeah, man. It blew That's me away. Crazy. Yeah. There are 40,000, perhaps 50,000 people at Mount Morris Park in Harlem, but they are not here watching the moon landing. They are here at the Soul Festival, part of the third annual Harlem Cultural Festival. And for many of them, this is far more relevant than the mission of Apollo 11. What's your feeling now that the astronauts have landed safely on the moon? I think it's very important, but I don't think it's any more relevant than, you know, the Harlem Cultural Festival here. I think it's equal. That was my conversation with producer Joseph Patel on the film Summer of Soul. This is Sound and Vision. Please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And if you have the means, please consider giving a one-time $20 donation to support this podcast at kexp.org backslash sound. Thanks for listening.